0: in a series this, this year on the function and the power of spiritual coverings. Numbers 19, 14 through 15, this is the law when a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. And the tremendous spiritual application cannot be ignored. People say, well, the Old Testament, that's, that's In the past, what we're supposed to do is focus on the New Testament, and we don't even need to read the Old Testament. And there was even some years ago, this statement you would hear people make, read the red and pray the power. Read the red, meaning read the red words of Jesus, that's all you needed out of the Bible, and pray for the power. No, you need all the word of God. Paul said, every scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Say profitable. You derive profit from it. That includes the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we look at some of these archaic laws. And when you study them, you say, why did they even put that in there? Because it has no application for today. And then you look at what it means spiritually, and you say, oh, my God. This is one of those verses. Because when a man died in a tent, which was his house, Everything in that house was contaminated that did not have a covering on it. We live in a day when there is death all around us. Over 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's tragic. Look at the numbers of people that are hooked on drugs. Death. Finances. Careers. Imploding. Businesses. It's just... A shaky, shaky world. Death is at work in finances. You don't believe death is at work in politics. Remember back a a couple of months to this past election, a few months to this past election. Wow. Have you ever seen so much mudslinging in all of your life? Death at work. And if you don't have a covering, remember we have this treasure in earthen vessels then the death around you gets into the vessel. I'm teaching you how to not become contaminated in an impure world. Isaiah 10 and 20, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The King James says the yoke is destroyed or broken because of the anointing. Father, I ask that you will speak a word to us today. Open heaven that we can peer inside and see the marvels of the kingdom of God and the principles by which it is run that those principles can then be applied to our lives, that we may experience heaven on earth instead of having to wait till we get to heaven to find it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. In this series on the function and power of spiritual coverings, I wanna begin today, and I'll talk about this for another Sunday or two, on coverings of oil. I've already talked about blood coverings, prayer coverings, Worship coverings, coverings of grace, just concluded love coverings last Sunday, and now coverings of oil, which is the anointing. I often think that people need to be able to discern who their enemy actually is. I am convinced that one of the most challenging of all of life's problems is being able to figure out who your friends are and who your enemies are. Oftentimes, the one that we think are friends are actually our enemies. And oftentimes, the ones that we think are our enemies are actually our friends. We have come to value people just defending us, speaking up with us and for us and agreeing with us even when we're wrong. We do. Somebody challenges you on Facebook, you unlike them. (laughs) I'm not on Facebook, but they tell me you can do that. You probably need to unlike some people on Facebook. Amen. The Bible said the wounds of a friend are faithful. That means is to say that sometimes your friends are not the ones who who support what you're doing, but they're the ones who love you enough to challenge you and say, that's not the best way for you to go about this. But we don't like that. Got to figure out who your friends and enemies are. Reminds me of Thibodeau who was walking near the bayou when he saw Boudreaux sitting in the shade of a tree and a big dog beside him. And he said, hey, Boudreaux, that's a fine looking dog, Cher. Does your dog bite? And Boudreaux answered and said, no, Tib, my dog don't bite. Thibodeau thought it was okay then, so he reached down to pet the dog, and it ended up nearly taking his arm off. And he said, Boudreaux, I thought you done said that your dog don't bite. And Boudreaux answered, that's right, Tib, but that ain't my dog. To borrow a little terminology from the hood, you need to know who your dogs are. <laughs> <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> Some of you are old enough to remember this story. 1973, Sweden, a man named Jan Erik Olsson... A convict on parole took four employees of a bank, three women and one man hostage during a failed bank robbery at the Credit Banken in Stockholm. The Credit Banken is one of the largest banks there. He negotiated, the police surrounded the bank, he negotiated with them for the release of his friend in prison, whose name was Clark Olfson. And they brought Clark Olson straight from prison to the bank when he went in and where he went inside, and joined his friend, and holding these four bank employees hostage, they put them in the vault, one of the bank's vaults. They put ropes around their neck, tied dynamite to them, tortured them, and threatened to kill them. This lasted for six days, from August the 23rd to August the 29th. Here is what is. Utterly astonishing. When they were released, none of them would testify against either one of their captors in court. None of them would. Incredibly, they began instead to raise money for the defense of those who had held them hostage and blamed the authorities for what they had gone through. This strange psychological response on the part of these four hostages toward the very ones who had captured, threatened, and threatened to kill them became known and is still known if you've studied any advanced level of psychology at all, you will have run across this term. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome. It's when instead of resisting and disliking your captors, you actually choose to identify with them and defend them. The very next year in 1974, Patty Hearst, the granddaughter of the wealthy publisher William Randolph Hearst, was kidnapped by a group that called themselves the Symbionese Liberation Army. And while in their hands, she was tortured, her life was threatened, she was starved, deprived of of being in human company, forced into a closet, fed bread and water, bucket in the corner for personal use, and after two months in that kind of condition, she began to change her loyalties and sympathies, and they began to be for those who had taken her captive. She even went on to change her name and join their group, and while she was with them in a bank robbery that occurred in the state of California, she was filmed carrying a gun and helping them rob the bank to fund the very gang that had taken her hostage, that had threatened her life, to fund their illegal activities. There are numerous other instances where people have developed feelings of sympathy toward those who have abused and threatened them. We are told by psychologists that when this happens, it is a defense mechanism. That people sometimes develop psychologically as a means of survival This is how they cope. It's a coping mechanism. They begin to identify with their captors because the need to survive is greater than the impulse to hate the person who has caused their dilemma. You may think that's extraordinarily strange, but it also happens in abusive relationships. You wonder why does that man stay with that woman or that woman stay with that man? And somebody can be so beaten down and their self-esteem so damaged, ask any policeman here, any law enforcement officer that's a member of this church or anyone you know, no matter where they go to church, what is the thing they fear most? It's when they call, are called to a family situation where there's domestic violence. Because if they try to deal with the person causing the domestic violence, the other person jumps on them too in defense of the one that caused the problem. You may wonder why that happens, but it is the same phenomenon at work here. People, their self-esteem is so beaten down, they don't see themselves as having an identity outside of with this person who is treating them so badly because their own identity has just been stripped away. And they actually need this person in their life, they feel, and they're willing to support that individual and fight everybody else around them, though that individual is the one that is treating them poorly. And this is exactly what God tells us that Israel did with their captors. Israel actually began to feel feelings of affection for and even to look up to and depend on the enemy who had defeated and enslaved them. They began to depend on the enemy to help them. They began to feel kindly toward the enemy, the very ones who had tortured them. The enemy had come in as it were like an invading flood, had ravaged their women, killed their men, their kids, taken children hostage. And yet these people are looking up to them, the very ones that had caused the problem. And believe it or not, the very one that causes our pain in life, it's amazing to watch so many people in this world and try to figure out why are people so loyal to that guy? People that would never darken a church door that have nothing good to say about God. They don't want to leave the enemy. Leave the church but not leave the enemy. And it's like, The very one who is causing their pain, who caused the loss of their child or their marriage or their financial ruin or got them hooked on drugs, they look beyond all of that. And their loyalty is for the person that has inflicted so much wrong in their lives. The real perpetrator gets off and God gets tagged for the wrong. And this is what God was saying in Isaiah 10 and 20. It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Judah will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. God is literally talking about something happening that will cause people to see things the way they really are. And you read and you wonder how could Israel have ever learned to depend upon their captors and as it were, how could that... Those hostages defend and go raise money for the legal defense of the people that threaten to blow their heads off with dynamite and blame the authorities. And feel like this guy got a bad shake in life and and, and was dealt a bad hand. And, and so, you know, he's not really at fault. It's society at large that's at fault. And so their sympathies are toward him even though he's wrecking their life. You wonder, how could this happen? And the answer is simply this. One of the side effects of sin is that it affects the way we think. Come on and help me right now. It affects our perception. And I've often said that perception is greater than reality because people do not act on the basis of reality, do they? They act on the basis of their perception. What causes this? The enemy sets up strongholds of thought in our minds that work against our happiness and success. And oftentimes what we should hate, we're attracted to. And what we should love, we turn and walk away from. This is why that one of the profound influences that occurs when you come into the kingdom of God, one of the profound influences that will occur is the impact the Word of God will begin to have on you. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into every thought into captivity to the obedience of God or the obedience of Christ. It takes the powerful Word of God To confront our thinking and challenge us to reveal to us where these strongholds exist. We can't see them by ourselves. Oh, help me now. Lord, help me. Oftentimes, we need help in breaking these strongholds of thought and the consequential control the enemy has over our lives because our thoughts are not in alignment with the thoughts of the Word of God. That's what God said in Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are high above the earth, so my ways and my thoughts are above yours. And and that's because of the effect of sin. And so we need help in breaking These strongholds. And here is what is amazing. You need that help even after you come into the house of God and become converted and become a child of God. Remember, it was to believers that Paul said in Romans 12 that we should be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Amen. Don't be conformed or conned into forming the world's outlook on life. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who is he talking to? He's talking to people that are already Christians. And this is the reason that Christ didn't just snatch you out of the world as soon as you got saved. Because you spent all of your life being programmed with all of these fallacious thoughts and principles that now that you're in the kingdom of God, you've got to have undone one by one. And you've got to re- program your mind to reflect the truth of the Word of God. In fact, I find it tougher to change my thinking than I do to change my behavior. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's because our thinking affects our decisions. Ultimately, behavior is the result of the decisions you made, but those decisions are the results of the thoughts that you think. It's as though all of your life, you have been yoked together with the enemy. And this is why in the book of Isaiah, I read to you the verse where God said, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The yoke is broken because of the anointing. Thank God for that. Somebody say amen. Amen. The Bible tells us we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Think about what that means now. First Corinthians 6:14. do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? You're a child of God. But God cautions us not to have relationships with darkness now that we're in light. It doesn't mean that you can't have friends or work in a place that, where there are unsaved people. That's not at all what that means. But communion goes deeper. Fellowship is a connection. Amen. And this admonition was actually based upon the Levitical law found in Deuteronomy 22 and 10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together you know what a yoke is. It's this piece of wood that goes across the necks of the two animals. Israel was a nation whose economy was based on agriculture and agronomy. And so you'd have these animals, and this yoke would be placed across their necks, and it had loops on each side, two of them. And they would put these over the necks of the animals, and that would harness them together, and the plow would be connected to the yoke. And you know what they would do? They would plow the field because they didn't have John Deere back in those days. They didn't have Kubota. Amen. So that that was their tractor. I remember one time preaching in the Philippines many years ago, and, and I used the word tractor in a sermon. And everybody out there cracked up, and I thought, well, what's funny about that? I found out the translator had translated that into water buffalo. Because that was their tractor in rural Philippines. They didn't have any tractors. They used water buffaloes. It was hilarious. It made me think of this verse. God said, you don't put an ox and a donkey in the same yoke. You know why? You can have two donkeys here in the same yoke. You can have two oxen over here, and that's fine. Just don't mix them up. Why? Because their gates are different an ox plods. It's slow but steady. A donkey is more of a sprinter. It's up on its feet and it's moving. And what you have when you have a situation where people are pulling at a different gait is you have one dragging the other and the other is not liking it because this one is going faster than I am. So you got one resenting the guy that's pulling back you see what I'm saying? And you got the other one resenting the fact that he's being pulled where he doesn't want to go. So the work is increased. Instead of both of you working together and sharing the load, the work is actually increased. I've got to ask you a question. Do you understand now why God said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers? Paul makes that application. But it not only works in terms of who you marry because if, if you're not careful, you'll end up choosing someone who's not only moving at a different pace, they're going in a different direction. And you work against each other. And God said, I don't want you to have that problem in your life because it's, it's misery personified. Jerry and I will have been married 50 years in just three months. That's right. Amen. Amen. The month of June. I know I don't look it, thank you very much, amen. I appreciate that. You say, how did you make 50 years? I'm gonna tell all you guys how to live with the same woman for the rest of your life, you ready? Here it is, keep your mouth shut and your pocketbook open, amen. That's the way you do it, right there. Keep your mouth shut and your pocketbook open. Your marriage will last, amen. You will survive, hallelujah, amen you will make it. You say, have you ever discussed divorce? I've said it before, never. Murder a time or two, but not divorce. <laughs> Amen. That's right. I mean, have you ever felt the need to look on Google for Holy Spirit field hitman? you know, and... No, it's not really that bad. Somebody, I did a 50-year wedding anniversary one time, and somebody told me that the man that was the, 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 the male in the 50-year the marriage, he said, we've been married 50 years, and we've never had a cross word. And I walked off, and I mumbled, liar, liar, pence on fire. Because <laughs> you don't live in the same house with somebody without having a disagreement once in a while. The only way you haven't had a cross word is she's deaf, and you can't talk. Amen. You don't have the faculty of speech. It worked like that then. Amen. But the truth of the matter is you're going to have disagreements. So guys, there it is. That was for free. You want to stay married? Keep your mouth shut, your pocketbook open. Everything will be cool. It'll be sweet around the old home place. Amen. God wants you to have a blessed life and a happy home and a fruitful marriage. And your your partner ought to be your best friend. That's what God wants to have happen for you. Amen. But there's death working around us. And people get unequally yoked in business too. I've counseled business people that feel like they're dragging their partner with them. And I've counseled the other side of that business relationship who says, man, I just don't understand my partner. They're forcing me to move in this direction and I'm being... Pull along here, and I haven't had a chance to properly assess this and evaluate it. And I feel like we might make a few bad mistakes here that will cost us. It's miserable on both sides of the equation. So it's not just marriage. It's business. It's any number of things in your life. You don't want to be in the yoke. But here's one with, with somebody that's not equally yoked with you. But here's one even worse Suppose it's a devil on the other side. He's not only not walking at your pace, he's trying to pull you in the opposite direction. And that's what God was saying about Israel. The yoke will be broken because of the anointing. You've got strongholds where you're yoked together with the enemy and he's trying to pull you in the opposite direction and God's word is pulling you this way. The anointing is going to break that yoke. I've got a word for somebody in the house today. Over the next two or three weeks, there are going to be some yokes broken in this house in our thinking. The anointing is going to set somebody's mind free to embrace the concepts of the kingdom of God. And what does it? It's the anointing. It's not programs, I've got to say this, it's not having an excellent choir, it's not being having a good vision plan or all of that. Well, those things are vital and necessary in a church. Those things without the anointing will not change your life. You'll never hear anybody say, I had the yoke broken because I heard a choir song. You'll never heard anybody say the yoke was broken because that guy's such a good musician. You'll never hear anybody say, that church has a great program. I had the yoke broken in my thinking because of that program. No, what you need are those programs, but they need the anointing of Almighty God. And I'm talking about spiritual coverings now, coverings of oil, to understand coverings of oil because you need an anointed house or covering. Look at Exodus 30, 22 through 33. The Lord said to Moses, collect... Choice spices, 12 and a half pounds of pure myrrh, 6 and a quarter pounds fragrant cinnamon, 6 and a quarter pounds fragrant calamus, 12 and a half pounds of cassia as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. God, I could preach on that. God is the one that sets the standard, not us. You have everybody in today's world saying, this is what the standard ought to be, and God is wrong. No, sorry, friend. God sets a standard. We are his creation. He is our creator. We measure up to his requirement. God doesn't have to measure up to ours. Amen. Amen. And so you use the, shank, the, the weight of the sanctuary shekel and get a gallon of olive oil and like a skilled incense maker, blend these ingredients to make a holy anointing oil and use the sacred oil to anoint the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the table, its utensils, lampstand, lampstand, its accessories, incense altar, altar burnt offering, its utensils, wash basin with its stand and consecrate them to make them absolutely holy holy. After this, whatever touches them will also become holy. Remember that next week, principle of spiritual importation. I'll get back to it. And then God says, anoint Aaron and his sons also, consecrating them to serve me as priest. And say to the people of Israel, this holy anointing oil is reserved for me from generation to generation. It must never be used to anoint anyone else, and you must never make a blend like it for yourselves. It is holy, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes a blend like it or anoints someone other than a priest will be cut off from their community. What God was saying is this oil is to be unlike anything else. You never use it for personal benefit or gain. The anointing is to benefit the kingdom, not you. And we have watched things happen in these modern times where celebrity ministries have risen that have used their anointing for personal gain, and God said, I'm against that. This is my oil, and it's holy, and it's to be used for my kingdom. You don't use it to enhance or better your position in life. I'm preaching better than some of you are responding right now. Amen. God said, not going to happen. Well, I, I am not going to let my anointing be used for the personal benefit of flesh. And I want to tell you, you need to get beyond the place that you need to be in ministry because it makes you look good and you need to pat on your back or you need somebody to say you did a good job or notice you. Let me tell you where the real benefit is at and where you're going to see some yokes broken. It's when the anointing is to build the kingdom of God and not to benefit benefit you personally and guess who's going to get the most out of that you are you are oh yes because here's the principle you can't give what you don't have such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise and walk what you're giving away God's got to give you first you become the pipeline through which The blessings flow. You become the conduit from heaven to earth. And I'm talking to somebody right now. God wants to break some things open in your life. Amen. God said, if you use it for personal gain, you're cut off from your people, cut off from the house of God. Moses was instructed to use certain particular ingredients in certain and specific amounts in compounding the anointing oil that was to be used for deliverance and anointing. These ingredients of the anointing oil each had a particular purpose and represented certain things that help us break the yokes of bondage in our lives and in our thoughts. Amen. And I look at the fact that God determined how much of each was required. Because if I had my way, there's some things that would not be there in the measure they're there in. Some things I'd say, that's enough right there, God. Hold it right there. I've been through enough of this. Let's move on now. Amen. Time out, time out. Let's, let's change direction here. And God says, you don't get to choose how much of this I put into the anointing process. Amen. I make that determination and each one of these had certain specific qualities that added to this particular oil. Oil in the scripture represents the presence of the Holy Spirit, and when you get your hands covered with oil. Have you ever noticed it is not easily removed? You don't go to the, the sink and just wash your hands. Uh-uh. You get, uh You got to get some kind of emulsifying agent, soap or something, because if you don't, that oil sticks to you. Let me tell you what God does. Once he comes into your life, he sticks, baby. He doesn't go anywhere. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the world, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I just want to say, when you're walking through a dark place, because you will, this is a fallen world, remember? This is not heaven. Look around. You don't see any streets of gold here, do you? Is is in heaven? We live in a fallen world, and like I am, am want, want to say, not only do we live in a fallen world, we're a fallen people that has been governed by a fallen Lord that Jesus has come to set free. But hear what I'm talking about right now, ladies and gentlemen. When the Holy Spirit gets on you and comes into your heart and you're walking through a dark place, you may be tempted to say, God, where are you? Where did you go? But I want to tell you, flip the light on because the oil is still there. It's not going anywhere. The oil sticks. I said the oil sticks. That's a word for somebody in this house right now. I feel it in my spirit. Somebody here is saying, God's done walked away. He hasn't gone anywhere. You're going to find out when you come out the other side, he was the one that gave you the strength to go through what you're going through. He didn't leave you. The world may leave you. Mom and dad may leave you. Even your church might abandon you. But God will never forsake you. Amen. A friend of mine many years ago wrote a song entitled, God's Just Not the Quitting Kind. He doesn't quit. And then they needed myrrh to put in that oil. Oh, let me get to say this about oil oil is developed when they take the olive and put it in the olive press, and they crush the olive and squeeze from it the oil that is contained in the olive. There are three different squeezings. The most valuable is the first one. That is what they call the extra virgin oil. That was the oil that was used. It's the oil that if you enjoy Mediterranean-style cooking, don't do it with a second or third squeezing. Use the first, the extra virgin oil. That's what they used as the base ingredient. And you've got to have the Holy Spirit Amen, if you want to see the anointing work in a church without the presence of the Spirit of God is a church that's not going to bring much deliverance in your life, amen. I want to say it again, they may have great programs, but you need more than just a program. The second ingredient was myrrh, and it speaks of both death and, strangely, also of eternity. Myrrh was obtained by cutting a gash in the side of the myrrh tree, and the sap would ooze out. The gum, it was actually a gum, would ooze out of the wound that had been created. This was the very thing that they brought to Christ when he was a baby. The three celebrated wise men that came from Babylon brought myrrh as one of the things they brought to Christ. Why? They didn't know it. They were prophetic inspired to pick up myrrh, which is very valuable, and bring it with them on their arduous journey and trek to find where Jesus had been born. And they presented it to Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mother. Little did they know that this little boy at the age of 33 was going to be crucified for the sins of humanity. And myrrh was used to embalm or to treat the dead, not only to treat the dead and to amass the the smell of death and decay, but it was used by royalty in ancient times to embalm the bodies. I have seen, and so have you, in some of the museums, I've been in the museums there right in Cairo, Egypt, where they have the mummified bodies of past potentates. Those mummified remains are still there. They have not rotted away. Why? Because the myrrh would not allow them to rot away. And so on the one hand, it speaks of death, because that's what they use to... to to perform the ritual of covering and masking the smell of decay when a person died. But on the other hand, it speaks of eternity. Because some of those Pharaohs that have, have been gone now for thousands of years, yet their mummies still remain. Can I talk to you about a man named Jesus? He who was dead and is alive forevermore. Amen. Yes, he walked through death, but he's still here. And not only that, he's the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Amen. He's not going anywhere. That's, that's our Lord that I'm talking about. And so myrrh speaks of both the death and the eternality of God. Paul called him the king forever. Oh, Lord. We're going to have another election in four years, and we've been doing that ever since we've been a nation. But I want to tell you, Jesus is not coming up for vote. Amen. He's not coming up for election. He has no contestants running against him. He is the undeclared king without equal, king of kings and lord of lords, prince of peace, mighty God, the great I am, the everlasting father. There's nobody like the one that I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It also speaks of how we must live if we're going to have the anointing in our lives. There's got to be something. We've got to go through some wounding and some cutting to release the sweet fragrance of God. That's one thing I've noticed about some of the children of God that I've known in my life. The more they go through, the more like Him they become the sweeter the smell. Smith Wigglesworth, the great evangelist at the turn of the last century from England, the UK, he one day was in a prayer meeting. He was extraordinarily used of God in great miracles. And one day he had to travel. And so after prayer, he went into a rail car and sat down in that rail car and waited for the train to take off. The man right across from him had on a clergyman's collar wigglesworth never opened his mouth and said a word within two minutes that man who was a clergyman looked at him and said sir you convict me of sin within five minutes everybody in that box corps was on their face crying out to god why somebody had got some oil on them amen and when they walked in you can't disguise the oil you can't wash it away. It doesn't leave. And what I want when I come to this church is I want to have a covering of oil. And I don't want to be up here trying to just preach to you what I know. I need some oil in my life. You need some oil in your life. Why? Because the anointing is broken or the, uh, the yoke is broken by the anointing. That's what breaks the yoke. Somebody here needs to listen and then there was cinnamon. It was obtained from the inner bark of the cinnamon tree. It was very fragrant in smell. And if you've ever tasted cinnamon, it is extremely bitter in taste. One thing I, I bet you can't do, take a tablespoon of cinnamon and without anything to drink, swallow it. I don't care who you are. You can't do that. Amen. It is not only bitter, but you, it will not go down. You just, uh, you're going to have to chase it with something. Amen. And I hope it's water or, or Coke Zero or something. You got to chase it with something. It's not going by itself. I'm preaching better than some of you are letting on right now. <laughs> Amen. Oh, I got the message across. I know I did. But you mix it with some sugar and put it on some cinnamon toast, and it's amazing and flavorful. You had to cut the side of the tree, and then you reached into the bark. You didn't take the outer bark. You took the inner bark from inside the tree, and you ground it up, and you put it in water, and you boiled it, and you reduce that down in consistency, and you mix that in all of the rest. And it speaks of how Christ poured out what his soul, Isaiah, said. His soul from way down within. It's one thing to live it on the outside, but it's another thing for it to be in your heart. It's one thing to act the part, but it's another thing to be the, th- the same thing all the way through on the inside, Hear what I'm talking about. God doesn't want people that are playing games or running game on him. You can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this in an ugly way because I preached last, the last two weeks on love coverings. What I want you to know is that God loves you. And from way down within the heart of God, way deep inside God's heart, He loves you. And He wants to break some yokes in your life. And for you to have the anointing in your life, you need to have integrity on the inside also. You can't just look the part, act the part. I came from a denominational background that would tell us all about how we were supposed to look, but it didn't talk much about the inside and I'm not casting aspersions or or throwing stones. I love people that helped me and, and poured into my life. But let me tell you why you need that cinnamon and why you need that. Do you know that at the door of the tabernacle there were sacrifices offered? And to offer a sacrifice meant something had to be cut. Something had to die. Things had to be wounded. You're not going to get through this life without being wounded. When Paul said, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you know what that means? It means there's going to be some wounds in your life somewhere. It doesn't just mean you double up on your offering this week. It doesn't mean that alone. What it means is you're going to go through some hurting in your life, and you got to learn to give that to God. you got to give it to Him. You know why? Because at the door of the tabernacle where the sacrifice, were were given, there were flies that gathered in swarms because of the gore, the blood the entrails, the, the everything that was there, it was a mess. It was, it was like being an abattoir. I mean, a slaughterhouse. there's just a, It's a mess, and flies were drawn. You know what I'm talking about, living here in the South, especially like we do. And, and you know Satan's name in the Bible? It's Beelzebub. You know what Beelzebub means? Lord of the flies. Amen. Here's what happens when you get wounded. If you don't get some cinnamon and you don't get some sugar and it doesn't have integrity and you don't have some oil to cover it up and you don't have some myrrh to make it smell good, it develops a stench and here comes the devil running. Hear what I'm saying. I am amazed at how some people are attracted to the gore of life. Some people, that's where their minds dwell. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody get a bad attitude and have ugly things to say. These days, I mean, they even make up stuff. I mean, you've been watching all this news recently? Man, you don't know what to believe anymore. There really is a lot of fake news out there. I don't care whether you're Democrat or Republican. You don't know what to believe any longer. It's like, I remember when Walter Cronkite used to give the news for heaven's sakes. He'd, give the, he'd report what happened. Nowadays, you've got to try to figure out what happened by listening to everybody's influence and they're what, what, what they're trying to make you believe. It just. I get sick of it sometimes. I get tired of it. I feel like somebody's trying to play mind games with me all the time. Trying to, here I am unequally yoked with people that are trying to lead me where I don't want to go. And I'm pulling toward God and they're pulling the opposite direction. And Am I talking to anybody right now? Ecclesiastes 10 and one said, dead flies putrefy the performer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. You may look the part, you may talk the part, you may act the part, but a little lack of integrity on the inside is an opening for flies. It's an opening for Beelzebub. And you watch this, somebody begins to make up stuff criticize a church or whatever criticize the kingdom and it's amazing people want to get around that they want to feel the gore they want to smell it they want to rub their foot in the mess and they want to talk about it and over coffee discuss it and 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 get on facebook and talk about it am i I relating to anybody yet and have all kind of nasty things to say about somebody who didn't do them wrong that's a member of the church and cast aspersions at God and then they wonder why later in their life their marriage falls apart they wonder why their children drift away won't have anything to do with them they wonder why one day their finances implode and their business collapses and they don't want to live anymore they're at the end of their rope you invited the Lord of flies into your life don't open a door to the Lord of flies, get some cinnamon, because you know what cinnamon will do? It chases flies away. There's something about the anointing that makes the devil go looking for an exit. The yoke is broken. You guys have to forgive me. Lord, I feel like I, my soul is on fire right now. Forgive me. I, I, I feel like I'm about to strip a gear here. I, And then there was calamus, which is sweet cane. This is a plant that grows in wet places. And you know how it was used? You first had to pluck it and then you beat it until it released its fragrance you didn't grind it you beat it you smashed it into a pulp this speaks of our christ who was beaten wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him And the fact that it was found in a wet place, that's what God does in our lives. You may have lived all of your life in a desert, but when Christ comes in, he makes that desert to blossom like a rose and turns the desert into a river. Am I talking to anybody that knows what it's like? You've been through some dry places. Anybody here that's been through some deserts in their life until Jesus came and all of a sudden passing through the valley of Baca, you made it into an artesian whale. Water started springing up in the most unlikely places. When you break the yoke, God begins to visit your life. Amen. With abundance and with a river, there is a river flowing. Amen. You see, you got to keep what the devil, you got to be able to take what the devil throws at you and keep on moving. I mentioned it a couple of Sundays ago. Y'all remember that old song? Ain't nobody going to break my stride. Ain't nobody going to slow me down. Oh, no. i got to keep on moving. Am I talking to somebody? uh, I'm not slowing down. I'm not letting the devil stop me. I got to keep moving toward my destiny. I got to keep moving closer toward God. And the last ingredient was the cassia, which was an evergreen tree. And evergreens are unique in this regard. They don't go into hibernation like other trees do. The sap does not return to its roots, the leaves don't fall off. And if you've been in dark, and cold climes in the dead of winter like northern Sweden or Norway or Canada or Alaska or some of these other places, you will know that all the other trees may be denuded and stripped of their leaves and may have been that way now for months, but there's still a tree that's green, though it's covered with snow, and that's the evergreen. And the cassia came from the evergreen tree. And what it speaks is of is the faithfulness of God. When you walk through a winter, God's not going anywhere. When you walk through a cold season in life, God's still there with you. Our God is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. But it also refers to how you need a covering that has integrity in it and has faithfulness in it. Can I just get real with you right now? If you're going to be anointed, you gotta be like that evergreen tree. You, your sap can't run up and down Depending upon the season that it's in You got it When everything is against you And you've lost every leave you've got You got to keep on serving God Hello somebody How are you going to be anointed If you can't even pay your tithe regularly? I, I know I slipped that one in on you How are you going to be anointed If a little season of reversals Robs you of your worship? You don't go to church because you had a bad deal on the job or something happened. No, no, no. Faithfulness, faithfulness. In season, out of season. These ingredients were to be blended together into a suspension rather than a solution. You may remember from your high school chemistry classes, a suspension is a mixture in which fine particles are suspended in a fluid where they are supported by buoyancy. They retain their individual properties while contributing these properties to the rest of the mixture. On the other hand, a solution is a homogeneous mixture of two or more substances. Homogeneous means that they all have the same properties. It started out as this, and this started out as that, but when they got together, they became this and that. That's why God doesn't want you to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, because you begin to take on whatever is going on in their life, too. I'm not being ugly, but you girls, be careful who you end up dating in life. You young men, just because she looks like, well, somebody said, when I married her, she had an hourglass figure. But since that time, all the sand has gone to the bottom. Amen. And I want to tell you, looks are here for a little while. They may not stay. And just so you men don't feel like I'm being unfair, she says, yeah, he had a chest, but since then, his chest, he's developed, chest droid, uh, his, his chest has fallen to him. You get the picture, and I'm... Amen. You get the picture. Better be something more than that holding you together. Hear what I'm talking about? You see, a homogeneous mixture is homogeneous mixture is like when you have all you boil tea leaves and you get a pot of water or a, a, a pitcher of water and you pour that that from the tea leaves you've boiled into it. It permeates every part of that. Then you go get some sugar and mix it in with that because you don't want to drink tea without sugar in it. It, I mean, I, I was raised in Louisiana. I know better than to even try. You know what I'm talking about? Without sugar, that's some nasty stuff. With sugar, that sure is sweet. Amen. Nothing like some sun tea, you know what I mean, and you're in the middle of the summer. And, and look, this is what happens. Let it sit for a little while, and you will see the difference in a solution and a suspension because the sugar is only in suspension. It will sink to the bottom. But the solution is the tea and the water. They have shared properties. Whenever God created the anointing oil, it was a suspension. They never lost their individual properties. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. They shared them, and God said, this is what you do. You go anoint the tabernacle, and then you anoint Moses. And I'm closing, or rather you anoint Aaron and his sons. That's what God told Moses. You say, why anoint the tabernacle first? Because, you see, most of us, we want to think we're the, we're the cause of everything good's happening. You know, before I came here. You know, that that kind of idea. You know, there are two different kinds of anointing. There's the anointing of the house, and there's the anointing that is your personal anointing. The anointing of the house is always greater than and takes precedence over and supersedes someone's personal anointing. I don't care how anointed you are when you walk in this house, this house has an anointing that supersedes your anointing and mine. Am I making any sense? To anybody. Personal anointings must be submitted to the anointings of the house. Amen. The failure to understand this has created more chaos in the kingdom than you could ever possibly imagine. People elevate individual anointings above the anointing of the house, and it inevitably causes conflict not only in the house where this occurs, but those who are part of that house that elevates someone's personal anointing above that of the house where God has placed them end up being much less fruitful and productive than they could have been because they have reversed the order oh I'm a member of this church but I'm really all about this anointing over here that brother or sister wonderful or whatever I respect that anointing but when they walk in this house they've got to submit their anointing to this house just like I do you hear what I'm talking about Aaron didn't get anointed first. The house got anointed first. Why do you anoint the house before the individual? Even though we preachers like to think it's about us, it isn't. And we're not the only ones. There are folks sitting in this building that want to think, my anointing is this and my anointing is that and and so forth. And that's why they don't submit. Nobody can tell them anything. And that's a dangerous place for you to ever be. Because what ends up happening is, The reason God anointed the house first is because he knows Aaron's not going to be around forever. The house has got to be here after Aaron is gone. You hear what I'm saying? Aaron you're not going to stick around long buddy You're 70 years or however many years And you're going to drop off the scene And I'm talking to the Aaron's in this house Myself included Someday it's going to be over You hear what I'm talking about And I want this house to continue after I am gone I don't want the ministry to end Just because my life ended The anointing of the house is greater Than my personal anointing And because it is, when I minister, my anointing is increased because I'm under the covering of this house. What I'm trying to say is you need a spiritual covering. You need a covering of oil in your life because you're going to run up against some things that that need to be broken and need to be hammered and need to be smashed. And when you're connected to an anointing of oil, increases the level and elevation of deliverance in your life, amen.